Chapter Ten of the Deluge, Volume Two. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by K. Hand. The Deluge, Volume Two by Heinrich Schenkewitz, translated by Jeremiah Curtin. Chapter Ten. The king's party arrived at Jivyets late in the evening and paid almost no attention to the place, which was terrified by the recent attack of the Swedish detachment. The king did not go to the castle, which had been ravaged by the enemy and burned in part, but stopped at the priest's house. Kmita spread the news that the party was escorting the ambassador of the emperor, who was going from Silesia to Krakow. Next morning they held on toward Vedavitsi, and then turned considerably to one side toward Suha. From this place they were to pass through Kijachoni to Yordanovo, thence to Novi Targ, and if it appeared that there were no Swedish parties near Chehorsten, to go to Chehorsten. If there were, they were to turn toward Hungary and advance on Hungarian soil to Lubavilavia. The king hoped, too, that the marshal of the kingdom, who disposed of forces so considerable that no reigning prince had so many, would make the road safe and hasten forth to meet his sovereign. Only this could prevent that the marshal knew not which road the king would take, but among the mountaineers there was no lack of trusty men ready to bear word to the marshal. There was no need even of confiding the secret to them, for they went willingly when told it was a question of serving the king. These people, though poor and half-wild, tilling little or not at all an ungrateful soil, living by their herds, pious and hating heretics, were, in truth, given heart and soul to the sovereign. They were the first to seize their axes and move from the mountains when news of the taking of Krakow spread through the country, and especially when news came of the siege of Chenstohova, to which pious women were accustomed to go on pilgrimages. General Douglas, a well-known warrior, furnished with cannon and muskets, scattered them, it is true, on the plains, to which they were not accustomed but the Swedes only with the greatest caution entered their special districts, in which it was not easy to reach them, and easy to suffer disaster, so that some smaller divisions, having needlessly entered this labyrinth of mountains, were lost. And now news of the king's passage with an army had already done its own, for all had sprung up as one man to defend him and accompany him with their axes, even to the end of the world. Jan Casimir might, if he had only disclosed who he was, have surrounded himself in a short time with thousands of half-wild householders, but he thought justly that in such an event the news would be carried about everywhere by all the whirlwinds through the whole region, and that the Swedes might send out numerous troops to meet him, therefore he chose to travel unknown even to the mountaineers. But in all places trusty guides were found, to whom it was enough to say that they were conducting bishops and lords who desired to preserve themselves from Swedish hands. They were led, therefore, among snows, cliffs, and whirlwinds, and over places so inaccessible that you would have said, a bird cannot fly through them. More than once the king and the dignitaries had clouds below them, and when there were not clouds their glances passed over a shoreless expanse, covered with white snows, an expanse seemingly as wide as the whole country was wide. More than once they entered mountain throats, almost dark, covered with snow, in which perhaps only a wild beast might have its lair but they avoided places accessible to the enemy, shortening the road, and it happened that at a settlement at which they expected to arrive in half a day appeared suddenly under their feet, and in it they awaited rest and hospitality, 
though in a smoky hut and a sooty room the king was in continual good humor he gave courage to others to endure the excessive toil and he guaranteed that by such roads they would surely reach Lyubavlia as safely as unexpectedly the marshal does not expect that we shall fall on his shoulders repeated the king frequently what was the return of xenophon to our journey among the clouds asked the nuncio the higher we rise the lower will swedish fortune fall answered the king they arrived at novi targ it seemed that all danger was past still the mountaineers declared that swedish troops were moving about near chorsten and in the neighborhood the king supposed that they might be the marshal's german cavalry of which he had two regiments or they might be his own dragoons sent in advance and mistaken for the enemy's scouts since in chorsten the bishop of krakow had a garrison opinions were divided in the royal party some wished to go by the road to chorsten and then pass along the boundary to spidge others advised to turn straight to hungary which came up in wedge form to novi targ and go over heights and through passes taking guides everywhere who knew the most dangerous places this last opinion prevailed for in that way meeting with the swedes became almost impossible and besides this eagle rode over the precipices and through the clouds gave pleasure to the king they passed then from novi targ somewhat to the south and west on the right hand of the baile dunyets the road at first lay through a region rather open and spacious but as they advanced the mountains began to run together and the valleys to contract they went along roads over which horses could barely advance at times the riders had to dismount and lead and more than once the beasts resisted pointing their ears and stretching their distended and steaming nostrils forward towards precipices from the depths of which death seemed to gaze upward the mountaineers accustomed to precipices frequently considered roads good on which the heads of unaccustomed men turned and their ears rang at last they entered a kind of rocky chasm long straight and so narrow that three men could barely ride abreast in it two cliffs bounded it on the right side and the left at places however the edges inclined forming slopes less steep covered with piles of snow bordered on the edges with dark pine trees winds blew away the snow immediately from the bottom of the pass and the hoofs of horses gritted everywhere on a stony road but at that moment the wind was not blowing and such silence reigned that there was a ringing in the ears above where between the woody edges a blue belt of sky was visible black flocks of birds flew past from time to time shaking their wings and screaming the king's party halted for a rest clouds of steam rose from the horses and the men too were tired is this poland or hungary inquired after a time the king of a guide this is poland but why do we not turn directly to hungary because it is impossible at some distance this pass turns beyond the turn is a cliff beyond that we come out on the high road turn then go through one more pass and there the hungarian country begins then i see it would have been better to go by the highway at first said the king quiet cried the mountaineer quickly and springing to the cliff he put his ear to it all fixed their eyes on him his face changed in a moment and he said beyond the turn troops are coming from the waterfall for god's sake are they not swedes where how what men began to ask on every side we hear nothing no for snow is lying on the sides by god's wounds they are near they will be here straight away maybe they are the marshal's troops said the king in one moment kmita urged his horse forward i will go and see said he the kaimlikes moved that instant after him like hunting dogs in a chase 
but barely had they stirred from their places when the turn of the pass about a hundred yards distant was made black by men and horses kmita looked at them and his soul quivered within him from terror swedes were advancing they were so near that it was impossible to retreat especially since the king's party had wearied horses it only remained to break through to perish or to go into captivity the unterrified king understood this in a flash therefore he seized the hilt of his sword cover the king and retreat cried kmita tyzenhaus with twenty men pushed forward in the twinkle of an eye but kmita instead of joining them moved on at a sharp trot against the swede he wore the swedish dress the same in which he disguised himself when going out from the cloister seeing a horseman coming through them in such a dress the swedes thought perhaps this was some party of their own belonging to the king of sweden they did not hasten their pace but the captain commanding pushed out beyond the first three what people are you asked he in swedish looking at the threatening and pale face of the young man approaching kmita rode up to him so closely that their knees almost touched and without speaking a word fired from a pistol directly into his ear a shout of terror was rent from the breasts of the swedish cavalry but still louder thundered the voice of pan andrei strike and like a rock torn from a cliff rolling down crushing everything in its course so did he fall on the first rank bearing death and destruction the two young kaimlikes like two bears sprang after him into the whirl the clatter of sabres on mail and helmets was heard like the sound of hammers and was followed straightway by outcries and groans it seemed at the first moment to the astonished swedes that three giants had fallen upon them in that wild mountain pass the first three pushed back confused in the presence of the terrible man and when the succeeding ones had extricated themselves from behind the bend of the pass those in the rear were thrown back and confused the horses fell to biting and kicking the soldiers in the remoter ranks were not able to shoot nor come to the assistance of those in front who perished without aid under the blows of the three giants in vain did they fall in vain did they present their weapon points here sabres were breaking there men and horses fell kmita urged his horse till his hoofs were hanging above the heads of the steeds of his opponents he was raging himself cutting and thrusting the blood rushed to his face and from his eyes fire flashed all thoughts were quenched in him save one he might perish but he must detain the swedes that thought turned in him to a species of wild ecstasy therefore his powers were trebled his movements became like those of a leopard mad and swift as lightning with blows of his sabre which were blows beyond human he crushed men as a thunderbolt crushes young trees the twin kymlicks followed and the old man standing a trifle in the rear thrust his rapier out every moment between his sons as a serpent thrusts out its bloody tongue meanwhile around the king there rose confusion the nuncio as at jivyets seized the reins of his horse and on the other side the bishop of krakow pulled back the steed with all his force but the king spurred him till he stood on his hind legs let me go cried the king as god lives we shall pass through the enemy my lord think of the country cried the bishop of krakow the king was unable to tear himself from their hands especially since young tyzenhaus with all his men closed the road tyzenhaus did not go to help kmita he sacrificed him he wanted only to save the king by the passion of our lord cried he in despair those men will perish immediately gracious lord save yourself while there is time i will hold them here yet a while but the stubbornness of the king when once roused reckoned with nothing and no man 
Yon Casimir spurred his horse still more violently, and instead of retreating pushed forward. But time passed, and each moment might bring with it final destruction. "'I will die on my own soil. Let me go,' cried the king. Fortunately, against Kamita and the Kaimliks, by reason of the narrowness of the pass, only a small number of men could act at once. Consequently, they were able to hold out long. But gradually even their powers began to be exhausted. A number of times the rapiers of the Swedes had struck Kamita's body, and his blood began to flow. His eyes were veiled, as it were, by a mist. The breath halted in his breast. He felt the approach of death, therefore he wanted only to sell his life dearly. Even one more, repeated he to himself, and he sent down his steel blade on the head or the shoulder of the nearest horseman, and again he turned to another, but evidently the Swedes felt ashamed, after the first moment of confusion and fear, that four men were able to detain them so long, and they crowded forward with fury. Soon the very weight of men and horses drove back the four men, and each moment more swiftly and strongly. With that Kamita's horse fell, and the torrent covered the rider. The Kaimliks struggled still for a time, like swimmers who, seeing that they are drowning, make efforts to keep their heads above the whirl of the sea. But soon they also fell. Then the Swedes moved on like a whirlwind toward the party of the king. Tysonhaus with his men sprang against them, and struck them in such a fashion that the sound was heard through the mountains. But what could that handful of men, led by Tysonhaus, do against a detachment of nearly three hundred strong? There was no doubt that for the king and his party the fatal hour of death or captivity must come. Jan Casimir, preferring evidently the first to the second, freed finally the reins from the hands of the bishops, and pushed forward quickly toward Tisenhaus. In an instant he halted as if fixed to the earth. Something uncommon had happened. To spectators it seemed as though the mountains themselves were coming to the aid of the rightful king. Behold, on a sudden, the edges of the pass quivered as if the earth were moving from its foundations, as if the pines on the mountain desired to take part in the battle, and logs of wood, blocks of snow and ice, stones, fragments of cliffs, began to roll down with a terrible crash and roar on the ranks of the Swedes crowded in the pass. At the same time, an unearthly howl was heard on each side of the narrow place. Below in the ranks began seething which passed human belief. It seemed to the Swedes that the mountains were falling and covering them. Shouts rose, the lamentations of crushed men, despairing cries for assistance, the whining of horses, the bite and terrible sound of fragments of cliffs on armor. At last men and horses formed one mass, quivering convulsively, crushed, groaning, despairing, and dreadful. But the stones and pieces of cliffs ground them continually, rolling without mercy on the now formless masses, the bodies of horses and men. The mountaineers, the mountaineers, shouted men in the retinue of the king. With axes at the dog, brothers, called voices from the mountain. And at that very moment from both rocky edges appeared long-haired heads, covered with round fur caps, and after them came out bodies, and several hundred strange forms began to let themselves down on the slopes of the snow. Dark and white rags floating above their shoulders gave them an appearance of some kind of awful birds of prey. They pushed down in the twinkle of an eye, the sound of their axes emphasized their wild, ominous shouting, and the groans of the Swedes. The king himself tried to restrain the laughter. Some horsemen, still living, threw themselves on their knees, and raising their defenseless hands, begged for their lives. Nothing availed, nothing could stay the vengeful axes. A quarter of an hour later there was not one man living among the Swedes in the pass. After that, the bloody mountaineers began to hurry toward the escort of the king. 
the nuncio looked with astonishment on those people strange to him large sturdy covered partly with sheepskin sprinkled with blood and shaking their still steaming axes but at the sight of the bishops they uncovered their heads many of them fell on their knees in the snow the bishop of krakow raising his tearful face toward heaven said behold the assistance of god behold providence which watches over the majesty of the king then turning to the mountaineers he asked men who are you we are of this place answered voices from the crowd do you know whom you have come to assist this is your king and your lord whom you have saved at these words a shout rose in the crowd the king the king jesus mary the king and the joyful mountaineers began to throng and crowd around john casimir with weeping they fell to him from every side with weeping they kissed his feet his stirrups even the hoofs of his horse such excitement reigned such shouting such weeping that the bishops from fear for the king's person were forced to restrain the excessive enthusiasm and the king was in the midst of a faithful people like a shepherd among sheep and great tears were flowing down his face then his countenance became bright as if some sudden change had taken place in his soul as if a new great thought from heaven by birth had flashed into his mind and he indicated with his hand that he wished to speak and when there was silence he said with a voice so loud that the whole multitude heard him o god thou who hast saved me by the hands of simple people i swear by the suffering and death of thy son to be a father to them from this moment forward amen responded the bishops for a certain time a solemn silence reigned then a new burst of joy they inquired of the mountaineers whence they had come into the passes and in what way they had appeared to rescue the king it turned out that considerable parties of swedes had been wandering about Chehorsten, and not capturing the castle itself they seemed to seek someone and to wait the mountaineers too had heard of a battle which those parties had delivered against troops among whom it was said that the king himself was advancing then they determined to push the swedes into an ambush and sending to them deceitful guides they lured them into the pass we saw said the mountaineers how those four horsemen attacked those dogs we wanted to assist the four horsemen but were afraid to fall upon the dog brothers too soon here the king seized his head mother of thy only son cried he find babinich for me let us give him at least a funeral and he is the man who was considered a traitor the one who first shed his own blood for us it was i who accused him gracious lord said tisenhouse find him find him cried the king i will not leave here till i look upon his face and put my blessing on him the soldiers and the mountaineers sprang to the place of the first struggle and soon they removed from the pile of dead horses and men pan andre his face was pale all bespattered with blood which was hanging in large stiffened drops on his mustaches his eyes were closed his armor was bent from the blows of swords and horses hoofs but that armor had saved him from being crushed and to the soldier who raised him it seemed as though he heard a low groan as god is true he is alive cried he remove his armor called the others they cut the straps quickly kmita breathed more deeply he is breathing he is breathing he is alive repeated a number of voices but he lay a certain time motionless then he opened his eyes at that time one of the soldiers poured a little gorlaika in his mouth others raised him by the armpits now the king to whose hearing the cry repeated by several voices had come rode up in haste the soldiers drew into his presence pan andre who was hanging on them and slipping from their hands to the ground 
Still, at the sight of the king, consciousness returned to him for a moment. A smile almost childlike lighted his face, and his pale lips whispered clearly, "'My lord, my king is alive, is free.' And tears shone on his eyelashes. "'Babinich, Babinich, with what can I reward you?' cried the king. "'I am not Babinich. I am Kamita,' whispered the knight. When he had said this, he hung like a corpse in the arms of the soldiers." End of chapter 10